The Welsh Wire, where talent and business connect in West Michigan. The Welsh Wire features moderator Mike Rogers and professional recruiting expert Sherry Welsh in this weekly podcast. Listen in as leaders from a wide array of small to mid-sized West Michigan companies weigh in and share their experiences and insights on a variety of business topics, including employee retention challenges and recruitment success stories. Welcome to this week's edition of the Welsh Wire. Now, here's Sherry Welsh. Today, we're here with Sue Tellier from Jetco. Sue, welcome to our broadcast. Thank you. I'm elated to be here. Glad to have you with us. So tell us a little bit about your company, Sue, what you do and what your role is in the organization. Great. So my husband and I started Jetco Solutions a little over 10 years ago. We're, I guess, on on year 11 right now. Um, We started Jetco Solutions to be a uh, an arm of of government contracting for companies that otherwise wouldn't bother selling to government. So we wanted small companies to have the same level of sophisticated writing, capture, and research that their large counterparts have. And so we've built a complete government sales lifecycle um, consulting firm for small companies who don't have the in-house resources to do it themselves. And what that means is that we have researchers, writers, capture specialists, and um, support personnel. We have a GSA specialist. So basically, any part of government sales, we have covered here. And our specific niche is small businesses. So we're not looking to be one of the DC Beltway companies that only wants to work with Northrop Grumman or, or General Dynamics. We want sophisticated second stage small businesses to have a voice in government contracting. And that's what we built. That's a terrific goal. It's, How did you get started in your business? What kind of background did you bring that made you want to launch this? That's a good question. So, um, my husband is military, and so okay. he has a DOD background, and I was running supplier diversity for the state of Michigan. So my my job at the state of Michigan was to train Michigan small businesses how to bid on and win state-level contracts. Ah, okay. And so – as we started, as we started building this company, we had a spectacular conversion rate. So of the bids that we were submitting, we were winning most of them. We had a, a I think about a 47% conversion rate in our first year, which is very high in government. Wow. I, w- I would think so. It's yeah. Really high. And, and, but shame on us if we didn't, because it was mm. my job. I would have been horrible at my job at the state of Michigan if we didn't have that high of a rate. So writing to government is a special, um, is a, is a really interesting niche. Government doesn't want flowery um, platitudes. Mm-hmm. They want they want proof. They want you to quickly tell them what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, and how you can prove that it works. And they're really not looking for the flowery stuff outside of that. Mm-hmm. So we were you understand. working primarily with small business at that time? Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. So at um, when I worked for the state of Michigan, Michigan doesn't really have statutory programs to support small business. They're looking at changing that now. But because they didn't have that, they didn't have the ability. We The only ability that we had within the Department of Management and Budget at the time was um, marketing. I'll call it marketing. So we had to encourage small businesses to bid on state contracts because they would have a good shot at winning. Um, it was I had a marketing background, but it was the most challenging marketing job I had mm. to convince companies that have 12 people and as a small business owner now, I know how many different hats you're wearing as a small business owner, but to convince a company with 12 people that they should wade through a 350-page solicitation 
and bid on it when it was going to take them 40 hours of time to really give a quality response. Right. That, you know, with all of the juggling priorities, my marketing job was to tell them they should. Right. So, right. And that's hard. I, I, I would think that most small to mid-sized companies, when they think about government contracts, if they're in it already, that's different. But if they think about getting into government contracting, they probably take a big deep breath and pause and yeah. really hesitate to jump into that arena because it does seem so overwhelming and so daunting. And as you say, hours and hours of time to sort through it, figure it out. I don't have time for this. I can probably get business quicker, easier, faster someplace else. Absolutely. Commercial sector is way um, more relationship-based and, and quite a bit easier, yeah. I, my, my perception of it. Um, and I think that's the big challenge that that we had to overcome when I was in that role back in 2005 um, for the state of Michigan. And even today, it's a challenge that we deal with at Jetco because we won't convince somebody that they should sell to government. Um, that's a bad day for us because they really have to make that decision as a strategic business move. They right. So how do they decide that? Um, we you know, because that, that's what I wonder about, because it, it seems like there is some great opportunity because mm-hmm. you have some success stories that you'll share with us a little bit later here. But but there's been some great successes for smaller companies in doing government contracting. But, you know, why should why should I as a small business owner even think about getting into that arena? What might be in it for me? What am, what am I missing? Well, I think most of the time when when small businesses decide to go into government, it's because they see an additional revenue stream that could be lucrative. That's the reason to really diversify into just about any sector. I, I also see among our clients, um, you know, we have a client that does lightweighting. They're kind of a they're a com- they're a company that deals in composites, okay. and so they see there's there there's there's just genuine altruism there. They see that they can help, mm-hmm. that they can that they can lightweight vehicles without um, lowering the protection level from an armoring perspective. They're, they see that there's a niche there, so they can take their mad scientist skills and make life better, safer, or cheaper for the warfighter. Sure, and, sure. And, and so I, I see there's there's a mix there. Um, when we have companies that approach us about working with them that really haven't made that decision wholeheartedly, mm-hmm. we guide them in terms of how and why they would make the decision. We Good. just don't convince them. Right. And the big why is evidence. So the, the, the wonderful thing about the federal government, especially state and local is a little bit different because there's not centralized data sources, mm-hmm. but the federal government has rich data available. Sure. So you can make a decision about whether or not government is buying what you sell in a very, um, objective manner. You know, if they're buying what you sell and they're buying it at a price point that would still give you a margin, well, might as well look into it. Right. You know, there's at least a reason. There's a revenue based reason for it. But if they're buying only from very large contractors and the margin just isn't there for you, you really have to know that you're going to have a niche, an ability to break in or a differentiator or some kind of a discriminator, like a total small business set aside or a veteran owned business set aside. You really have to find your niche within that in order to make that decision. Sure. And in your, I'm assuming in your initial conversations with clients or prospective clients, you can help them see where there may be be a benefit for them in their business where they may be able to identify a niche absolutely, or what the spend is Mm -hmm. that's available that they could have access to. Absolutely. And then even better yet, um, you provide them with the solutions to help them cut through some of that red tape 
yeah, pages we and pages of bids. Definitely shorten the sales cycle for them. You know, it, it, it gives us, you know, we're, we've been doing this for a long time. We've been doing this before we were doing this, you know, so we've, we've been doing it long enough that we can look at what they do and identify some of the challenges. Um, and in some cases, this becomes a little bit more sensitive, but, um, we identify whether or not they have the culture that we think will be successful. So if they get, um, we have right on our website that we won't work with clients that we think will be whiners. And it's true because first, I just really don't like whiners <laughs> and it's my company. So I get to make those decisions. You can choose who you want to work exactly. with. Exactly. <laughs> but the other piece of it is that it's exhausting if you get hung up on the ideological little pieces. Yeah. So our recommendation is that you get into this. If you have patience and persistence, if you're trying to make payroll next week, Mm. This isn't it. Mm-hmm. This isn't the way to do it. It's a long sales cycle. Um, you shouldn't expect to have quick wins. Um, and if you do have a quick win, don't expect the next ones to be quick. Sure. Um, sure. But um, the the patience and persistence piece is, is it, it can't be emphasized enough. And, you know, it's there's always abilities to we can find different ways to modulate specifications or protest on a pre-award or post-award basis. And we understand how to do all that. But we remind our clients that the energy that goes into a protest is substantial. The time and energy that go into it is substantial. And if we don't honestly believe that that's going to result in revenue for them, there's no, there's no win in being right. You know, there's going to be shenanigans every now and then on a solicitation. Deal with it. Right. There always is. They're just with government or in private industry. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So we we try to remind try to keep keep focused on the end goal which is you know maybe a, a a macro government sales goal for the year and not you know win the war not the battle sure you know sure so specifically some of the services and things that you provide to a client after sitting down and agreeing that there is a niche there's an opportunity here and there's something that they want to go after they sign with you and what is it that you begin to do for them until that point at which the bid is submitted and hopefully the contract is awarded so most of our clients hire us to just be their government sales team. Ah, and so excellent. I get really excited about this part because um, we work with them kind of on two parallel paths where we work to identify where the fits will be so that we can proactively go after opportunities. So which agency should we be targeting based on data? Again, mm-hmm. this is not guttural. This is all based on data. Right. So what agencies buy what we sell the most? of the companies that they're buying it from, is it heavily stratified with the bigs or can we break into that? Is there an opportunity to take an incumbent out? Um, if if our client is a total small business or a service-disabled veteran-owned business, can we use that to help modulate specifications? We never lead with that. We always lead with capabilities. If they're a service-disabled veteran-owned business, that's a value, but that that's that's valuable, but it's not the lead. The lead is we are the best at what we do, and this is why. So we really stay focused on capabilities with them. And while we're building that evidence, that, that kind of pool of evidence as to where we should be spending our time upstream, um, we're building their, their, their proposal arsenal. So we look at what we're going to need for bid responses and we start building that with them before the first bid even comes out that we're looking to respond to. If they don't have a documented quality assurance methodology and we believe they're going to need one, we're going to interview their subject matter expert and we're going to build them a quality me- methodology Great. in writing and they're going to have that in native files because they'll be able to use that in the commercial sector too. Yeah, perfect. So yeah, this is when we write for people, it's a it's a work for hire. We don't we're not special snowflakes. We write we wrote it for them. 
they get it. You know, we want them. If, if we write something that they like enough that they want to use it in their commercial proposals, bully for us. That's a great, that's a compliment to us. That's not right. a turf battle. That's a compliment. We're part of their team. Oh, that's great. Oh gosh. It's silly. In my industry, there's a lot of people that, that, that draw too many lines instead of just blurring them all together and sure. being part of the same team. Sure. Yeah. So once bids come out, we're actually helping our clients identify bids that they want to pursue. We have two research specialists that work full time trying to find opportunities and doing kind of proactive research projects to identify expiring contracts and who our competitors are and what contracts they hold and how can we give them a bad day, you know, um, but once the bid comes out and we've decided to pursue it together, um, our writers develop a, um, a written outline that we're all going to follow. They start working with the client on the assets that we'll need for it. We articulate the solution. We determine our win themes. We even do what we refer to as a pre-mortem. So we're at the beginning of, of the proposal when we have our solution defined. Okay. Why did we lose? Let's mm-hmm. think ahead and let's think that we lost. Why did we lose? Let's think about it from the evaluator's brain and let's determine what our, where our risks are based on what they might be feeling. And we can determine that sometimes based on the evaluation criteria or what the submission requirements are. But it's like each bid is a chess match. It's oh, sure. what do they need to hear? How, you know, how can we position our players correctly so that we win? Right, right. And so then we write. And we review and we do color reviews with them, which is, you know, determination of where our gaps might be and also um, where our messages maybe didn't resonate enough. And then we actually we have a, a full time volume manager here, which is a person who um, actually uh begins at the beginning of the solicitation, understanding what forms might need to be submitted in what volumes, if there's three volumes and there's two copies of one and one copy of the other, we have somebody full-time that is just dedicated to that because wow. it's such a monster. It's oh, a, it's, it seems like it. It's yeah. a monster. You miss a signature on one form and all of the writing effort is out the window. Yes. So it's an important oh enough role for us to have somebody that is Error free. She's amazing. Right. Um, that really works with us to make sure that all of those submissions are submitted correctly and in a timely manner. Yeah. And so we do it all. So the team that you have built sounds incredible. And I don't want to miss saying that that was probably no easy feat for you to even build a team with this kind of capability. I mean, you and JT came in with some expertise, but how did you train and develop, even identify and secure the right talent to do the research, to do the sales, to be successful? It's a great question. And you and I have talked about this before. The challenges that we have are um, a combination of the skill set that's available in our geographic region, in our geographic region. And the, the, there's a gap between the skill set that's already here and what we need. Right. And so we had, and there's not like a lot of companies necessarily that do what you do in the way that you do it either. Don't have another. I, I, there's not a, we don't have a true competitor in Michigan, which is, cool but it's also you know it's we i don't want to look to the beltway companies for for guidance on best practices because they work different they are looking for only highly experienced um, researchers or proposal managers or technical writers or capture professionals i don't have that pool of talent to pull from no. in west michigan no maybe and talent wasn't the right word the existing skill set they they might not have the experience 
But so we, we look to identify the characteristics. There you go. That's yeah, that's great. Because I believe that probably a lot of our listeners are looking for talent with the same kind of a concern. Nobody right. does exactly what we do in the way that we do it. It's hard for us to find someone out there with the skills and the experience. So what should we identify? How should we look to hire? And the characteristics that have mattered to you when you're hiring or what kind of things? So right now we're um, filling an open position for a research specialist. And so when I look at, look at the characteristics that I need in that person, there's a lot of attention to detail. There is fact-finding capabilities. Um, there is responsiveness to deadlines, um, extreme time management and organizational skills. So we also... Um, we, we tend to, toward the, the, what do they call it? Behavioral situational questions or situation. We, we tend toward building, um, building a, a, a good arsenal of questions so that we can try to discern Excellent. the skills and really our, our methodology for interviews has nothing to do with gotchas. We have no gotcha questions. We're genuinely trying to figure out if someone's going to be a good long-term fit for us. Right. I don't want, I don't want churn. Oh my gosh. It's so, it's, it just it's disruptive balance. Yeah. Yeah. It's and disruptive. with a small team, we've got 14 here. But that, I mean, that's big for what we do. It's bigger than we thought we'd get 10 years ago, quite frankly. But right. um, it's small enough that every hire can affect our culture. And so we're very conscious of making sure that that we still have the same drama-free, hardworking, you know, have fun, no whining culture mm-hmm. that um, that we've worked really hard to build. Right. And and so each hire is, I don't want to, I don't want to say it's personal, but it kind of is because this is our, you know, this is our company, you right. know, we're a small business and this right. is our company. So each one of those hires is pretty substantial. Yep. Sue, you talked about hiring for culture, that that's important to you when you're building your great teams that you have here at Jetco Solutions. So how do you do that? How do you hire for culture? So I, I do it in kind of two different ways. One is we really do try to over-communicate um, with candidates regarding what we do, how we do it, and in the culture in which we do it. Um, we're sitting in my office right now, and on my whiteboard, we have our, our value statements, and our value statement starts with no whining. Um, it, it's how we deal with our clients, and it's how we deal with our employees. We're going to have periods where we're very busy and periods where we have a little time to breathe, but we're all deadline-driven. We don't get to decide our deadlines. Government does. So we're always going to have a little bit of a frenetic pace. And we need to project calm to our clients because mm-hmm. when they're feeling panicky about a deadline, we need to let them know we've got it handled. And yes, it's For quick, sure. but gosh, we've got this. We're okay. And so I look to hire, I ask questions that try to identify people who would panic. Mm, um, okay. I try to, um, I try to ask questions to identify candidates that might have had, um, drama in their past jobs. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of easy to get people to talk about that. If they're, mm-hmm. if there's a potential drama queen, it comes out in an interview mm-hmm. with the right questions. So I try to identify those. And that's for two reasons. One, it's because that's, you know, our, our, our culture really is one that is hardworking, no whining. Let's get it done. Um, but secondly, I don't know how to lead a drama queen. I don't, I, that's not, I don't have, from a leadership perspective, that is the most challenging right. person for me to lead. And so part of it is about me. <laughs> 
But the again, we go back to it's my company, so I well, get to do it. Yeah, and drama queens are disruptive Exhausting. to your process, to most companies' processes, but especially for yours, mm-hmm. when you have to work, as you said, under such tight deadlines, Absolutely. Um, where the client may be freaking out a Absolutely. little bit, and you've got to project that you've got it all handled and yeah. everything's going to be fine, because it is. It is going to be fine. Um, you deal with it every day, and this is what they hired you to do, but you've got to be careful to hire people that can to not only totally buy in, but execute exactly. with that same level of confidence um, and, and just instill that trust with your clients. We bring conflict management questions into every interview so that we can see it's, to try to drive to that. You know, tell me about a time where you had, you know, a conflict with a peer or if they're right out of college, you were in a project, you were in a group project and you had a conflict with someone that you were supposed to be working with or collaborating with. Yeah, these good behavioral based Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we try to bring that in. And another way that I do it is I make sure that I'm not doing the interviews in a bubble by myself. Mm. I might know what I'm looking for, but you know, the research specialist I'm hiring right now, I want my existing research team to be part of that interview so that they can weigh in and buy in on the final decision. The final decision's mine, but mm-hmm. I want I want them to feel engaged in the process and their their input is genuinely valuable to right, me. Right, right. Um, and isn't it interesting too how when you bring others into the process like that, they hear things, definitely. observe things in a different way than you do, and their observations can be very enlightening when you take the time to include them and hear their feedback. Absolutely. And to hear it genuinely too. Right. right. It also gives us a chance to 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 message to the new candidate to the candidates before they become an employee. So in the same way that we that we have deliberate messaging for our prospects so that they're eventually better clients, I want to make sure I'm messaging correctly with the candidates so that they're eventually better informed employees who stay with us long term. Sure. sure. That way and see no that you're a team. Yeah. We are a team. We do this together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With all the time and attention that you've taken to working and building these great teams that can provide these services for other companies, if I'm a smaller company thinking about getting into government contracting and looking at, do I talk to the folks at Jetco Solutions or do I try to do this on my own in-house? It seems like it's pretty silly to try to do it on your own. I mean, what could it take a small company? How, ma- how many months or years could it take a small company to develop the kind of expertise you already have? You know, gosh, it's so funny that you bring that up. I just, um, right before you got here today, I had um, a, a kind of a capabilities, br- I gave a capabilities briefing to a company that's considering hiring us and they're based in the Southeast Michigan area. And one of the comments I made to them was that when we have a conversation with a company that's thinking about hiring us, we ask a lot of questions about what they're doing now and what's worked and what hasn't worked. Mm -hmm. And when I was talking with them on the phone, they're a very price-sensitive company. Most of their solicitations will be low-price, technically acceptable, with very little narrative. So it's pretty price-heavy. I can't solve that for them. We help them on price to win, and we guide them on price to win. But if there's a solicitation that comes out and it requires 200 items to be priced, that's on them. Sure. And so if that's their biggest pain point, they shouldn't hire us. Right. Because I can't fix that pain point. That's still something that they have to remedy internally. Right. And so um, I feel like I'm answering this in a really long-winded, you know, going around the quarter's way. But we we really try to figure out for each for each company, they have different challenges that they need to overcome. In every case, there's very few cases where where when a company is considering hiring us, they're considering us and another firm. That's very rare. Mm-hmm. It's very intuitive and insightful the way that you ask the question. When I'm competing, 
I'm not competing against another company like mine. I'm competing against a company's internal efforts. Sure. And so one of the most important things I can do is let them forgive themselves for wanting to outsource it. It's the same reason, and I've mentioned this to you before, mm-hmm. it's the same reason I outsource my accounting. I can't possibly do my own taxes at this point in the game. Right. I probably could figure it out, but it would take me so long, and I'd be missing the things that would get me to a more successful outcome. Well, absolutely. And your time is more val- valuable to the organization spent on things that only you can do absolutely. from your area of expertise. And likewise, I would guess when it comes to some of your clients, it's better that their sales team focuses on other areas, set aside the government piece, we can help you with that. Why don't you go after other commercial lines of business, Absolutely, which are the lanes that you already know well, company X, Mm -hmm. right? And let Jetco take care of that government piece because we can ramp you up so much faster and get you to success so much faster than you ever could on your own. And that's really, that's why most companies finally hire us is they Mm -hmm. realize that, um, They've tried it themselves and they've failed or they've had some success, but then they ran out of capacity to keep going and trying for more. Sure. And um, a big problem that we've seen for a lot of them is that the owner of the company is actually writing their bid responses because they don't necessarily have an in-house writer or their part-time marketer is writing the bid responses. And neither one of them should be doing it Mm -mm. because it's not what they do, Mm -mm. Um, especially the owner. I tell people flat out, don't write any more bid responses because you suck at it. (laughs) You just do. And it's not because you're a bad writer. It's because I'm an owner. I know what it's like to have your insurance guy on the phone and then your open enrollment happens and then you've got to get on the phone with your CPA and then you've got, you know, there's leadership that we have to do. And, you know, so my my time should be spent on leading my team and teaching them how to do what they need to do right? instead of trying to be something I'm not. Right. Absolutely. So outsourcing is a great way for them to get all of the value with a a lot less pain and and a lot more efficiency and effectiveness because your win percentage is pretty good. Yeah, our win percentage is good. We we save them time and we we allow them to focus on only the pieces that they should focus on. So I they should always be involved in the solution development and the pricing, but let me take on the other stuff that that sure. you shouldn't have to. Yeah. You know, the the time consuming part, let us do it. We're quicker at it, we're better at it, you know. That's the message we have. And it's right. the same message that that it's the same um, mindset that I used when hiring my IT firm my CPA, my lawyer, I, that's not what I do. I mean, there are certain professional services that small businesses, when they get to a certain point, they should be outsourced. Right, yeah. right, for sure. So tell us um, maybe a, a success story or two, one that you've had recently or that sticks out in your mind of a company that you've worked with that sort of tentatively walked into the whole idea of selling to government, government contracting, and you helped them really secure something they never thought possible. So we have a super recent one. Um, it's actually with with a friend of ours. I'll, I'll not name the company, but um, he decided to sell into the. He decided to 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 to, to wade into the into government sales, and he did so with a very deliberately open mind. Um, he is highly, highly experienced in light manufacturing. He has amazing quality. Um, when you walk into his facility, his mission um, is everywhere. And it's not because it's on the wall. You can just see the values in the eyes of every employee there. Oh, cool. If I can get somebody into his facility, he gets work. It's just, it's really, it's it's a company I'm really proud to work with. Oh, great. But he had an open mind regarding 
you know, looking outside of just the light Mm -hmm. manufacturing piece, because there Mm -hmm. might be a lot of subcontracting work for him. And there might be some direct contracting as well. But we wanted him to to stay open minded about maybe program management and different pieces that he could do. And the first time he strayed outside, you know, we colored outside the lines just a little bit. And we we took we we allowed the evidence to take us in a different direction, knowing that he had the qualifications from a quality and project management perspective to stray. And he won a very interesting tower demolition project. It's not where we started, but now it's a thing for him. So now we have three new target agencies. So he won one of the first bids that we submitted with him. He was successful with a good margin. You know, it was good work for him. It wasn't, it was a risk because it was, it was coloring outside the lines. Mm -hmm. So there's always a risk in that, which means that you have to make sure your margins mirror that because there's some unknown factors. Oh, sure. But he was able to expand even in an area that he didn't expect to be working in, which Mm -hmm. was really fun. Right. We have years ago, gosh, I think this was back in 2008 or 2009, we had a, uh, a law firm that wanted to get into, to some, some, uh, local and state work. And we helped them grow from about, because of, of one significant win, we helped them grow from about a $400,000 a year law firm into a $2.2 million a year law firm. And it happened Exciting. just like that. And that was a huge challenge because they had no public sector past performance. Um, they were willing to do it, but they had nothing in writing. I mean, we just went from ground up with them. Um, we have an auditing, a healthcare auditing firm right here in Grand Rapids that um, has gotten two significant contracts with our help that they never expected to get. Um, it's just those little things just juice our team. Absolutely, Gosh, that's we what have you're a in neighbor, it for. Three blocks down here, um, I, I'll, I'll throw their name out there because I'm, I'll shamelessly, you know, th- throw them under the bus and take. They'll, they'll, they, they wouldn't mind the attention. Um, their name is Elevator Service, and they are just an amazing small business of. Uh, they're a company with high integrity, great knowledge in their trade. Um, it's called the vertical transportation industry, which you never would. There's there's <laughs> chuckles that we get in all these different niches, but they are just killing it with the VA. They're doing oh. great work, and it's good for the VA because elevators pose this huge safety risk in facilities, sure. and we're able to 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 give their message well. Right. What a great customer to have to yeah. talk about a feel good. Yeah. You know, as a company to be able to do service for the exactly. veterans. Wow. It's, it's huge. It's we have another local yes. company and that, that company is service disabled veteran owned. Another service disabled veteran owned company that we work with here locally, DK Security is now the exclusive security provider for the state of Michigan. They've been oh. doing armed forever, but now they're doing, I think, all of the unarmed. They're just killing it. They've grown well. They hire Michigan company, Michigan residents. They treat them well. And I think they're at around 2000 employees now. Oh. They've just grown tremendously. We've been working with them since 2010. It's just really fun. It, I can tell. And I can tell you love it. Team and you know, they're friends. They become, you know, right. when you're part of their management team, you just get to have a different, a different mindset and we can support them on, on, on their strategy and on where we can go and what's good business. And, oh yeah. Terrific. And the good thing is that if we ever have an inkling that, that a client that we're working with doesn't have the same view on integrity and, and they don't have the same values that we do, we just fire them. So we work with companies that we respect. And if we don't respect them and we don't think we can help them win, we're not going to keep them. Right. You know? Might as well be honest. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's not Absolutely. working. We can't deliver for you. This isn't a good fit. And, and or we don't think we can be successful, you know, with uh, let's be honest, right? Yeah. And save everybody some time. Absolutely. What, so what do you see as the future for government contracting? Oh, my gosh. So um, 
it's, you know, government changes so much in how they do things. The federal government is increasingly, especially the Department of Defense, is increasingly realizing that their own acquisition rules get in the way of bringing innovation into the field quickly. Interesting. So hmm. they have actually um, found ways to work around their own acquisition rules so that they can get innovative technologies into theater quicker. Which is great for small to mid-sized companies because news. that's where they shine. Absolutely. Different ways of doing things, different applications of an existing technology. Um, and so we've been working heavily with what they refer to as other transactional authorities. It's their way of kind of sidestepping their acquisition rules. Um, they do it cautiously and judiciously. I'm not mocking them for doing it. It sounds right. silly, but I mean, the federal right. acquisition regulations, um, which guide federal contracting are more than 2000 pages, like printed, there's something like five inches or something oh. ridiculous like that. So the rules are that complex for a reason. They're public tax dollars. There's, there's ways that they have to buy and there's ways that they can't buy. So I'm not even mocking that, but it does, you can understand why innovation and a 2000 page federal regulation <laughs> manual are counterintuitive with each yes. other. So um, we're seeing government getting a little bit more creative about how they buy so that they mm -hmm. can buy better. Um, we're hoping to see a reversal in the trend toward low price, technically acceptable or LPTA solicitations. Um, in very few areas is LPTA really warranted. So if, if, if the government is looking for the best value in something, that doesn't mean that anyone who can fill out their name and put pricing in should win. Um, that's not a long-term strategy. So we're right. seeing a little bit of a shift away from that. We were seeing a run toward it for a few years, mm. and now we're seeing a gradual shift away from it. We actually, one of the things that we do quite a bit with our clients is we work hard to to modulate specification requirements in advance of a solicitation coming out to avoid LPTA when it shouldn't be there. So we really work hard to educate and not, not just in a shameless way to help our clients win, but to say, okay, government, this is a big safety risk for you, or this is a big facility risk or a big, you know, contracting risk for you. If you, if you are looking at just price. Right. So we work hard right. to give them a, a reason. You know, we, we, we educate them on the reasons that we think it should not be LPTA. Yep. Yep. Good. Um, so we're seeing that. Um, I, th I think, you know, on the state and local level, I'm not as in tune with the trends, but certainly mm -hmm. on the federal level, we're not going to see, um, government's still going to spend. You know, it doesn't matter what the, 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 the deficit is or what the, 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 the budget positives and negatives are. And of course, lately we've seen so much of the twists and turns oh, and the ups sure. and downs and, and we can talk about that offline over a glass of wine or something because I have rants and it's probably not what you want. <laughs> but we're, we're government's still going to buy, so and, yeah. I, and the, the information is still going to be available. So, right. so I don't see a big change in how we do business. Mm -hmm. um, we're just going to respond to government in terms of how they're how they're acquiring and maintain our own knowledge so that we can benefit our clients. Right. Right. So for our listeners today who are saying this is opening my eyes to the potential for my company that I maybe never thought possible, um, they would probably, our West Michigan listeners would love to work with somebody local in the Grand Rapids market who does what you do. So how can they reach you, Sue, if they so, want to get more information? So they can go to our website and forgive it because we're redoing it this year. <laughs> JetGoSolutions.com. And that is, um, through that, you can get to us, you know, we're on Facebook and stuff like that too. But quite frankly, I ignore it because, well, it's social media and I get bored with it. Right. <laughs> I shouldn't admit that. Right. I'm a horrible marketer for us. 
Well, um, that's okay. You're a great marketer for your clients. Yeah. Obviously, doing a tremendous Rather job. Rather spend my time on them. Passionate about the service that you provide to be able to help their companies grow and succeed through government contracting. And I think it's a really misunderstood area of opportunity for companies, but I'm really glad we got to talk about it a little me bit more too. today. Me too. You, you let me remind myself, sometimes you have to talk about your company a little bit to get excited about it. And it was Absolutely. Fun. Good. Thanks for being with us today, Sue. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to The Welsh Wire. We hope you'll join us for the next episode. For more information, visit welshandassociates.net.